Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast on current affairs in China. I am Claudia Wessling, head of publications at Mercator Institute for China Studies. My guest today is Abdul Abiyad, director of macroeconomic research division of the Asian Development Bank. Um, hello, Abdul. Um, it's great to have you here in our little, tiny little studio in Berlin. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Claudia. <laughs> our topic today is the um, US-China trade conflict and its impact on the Asian region. But Abdul, before we proceed, let me briefly say a few words of introduction. Um, you're from the Philippines, where you studied mathematics. Um, you did a PhD as an economist at uh, University of Pennsylvania in the mm -hmm. United States. You worked for the International Monetary Fund and have been with the Asian Development Bank for quite a while now. Uh, about uh, four years, yes. Okay. Um, talking about your work at the ADB, could you briefly say what your research foci are and uh, what brings you here today to Berlin from sure. Manila all the way? That's <laughs> yes. a long way. <laughs> so I'm, I'm director of the Macroeconomic Research Division in the uh, Asian Development Bank's research department. And... Uh, My uh, primary uh, responsibility is to put out the, the ADB's flagship publication. It's called the Asian Development Outlook. So this is a report that comes out twice a year. It's free on the ADB website. And the first part of it focuses on the outlook and the risks for developing Asia. And uh, there's always also a second part, uh, which is like a special report on a thematic Uh, on, on, on a theme and uh, for example the one in the report that came out just uh, in late September was on urbanization in Asia on how uh, cities in Asia are urbanizing very rapidly and uh, the opportunities and challenges this presents for the region. Okay, that's a huge report. It is really long <laughs> and we decided for this podcast. Um, I have to mention that this is the first time you're presenting it in Germany today, right? And you're here at Merricks to present it. So yes. we feel very honored <laughs> that you chose us for this opportunity. Um, for the podcast, we decided to focus on a topic that has been in the media a lot recently, the US-China trade conflict, yeah. uh, which continues to create insecurity not only in Asia, but all over the globe. Um, last week, we saw some surprising developments with a sort of truce being brokered <laughs> between Chinese Vice President Liu He and its American his American counterparts in Washington. China announced it will significantly increase purchases of U.S. agricultural goods like soybeans. Um, Beijing agreed to certain intellectual property measures and concessions related to financial services and currency. And in exchange, the U.S. said they will delay another tariff increase that was scheduled to kick in today. What mm -hmm. is your take on these recent, some say quite surprising events? Right. Let me give your listeners a bit of background on the trade conflict so that uh, everybody's familiar, because at least it puts this most recent agreement into context. So the trade conflict has really been going on for about two years now. So the beginning of uh, last year is when uh, the U.S. government started imposing first uh, Uh, tariffs on not just uh, China, actually, but a wide range of uh, trading partners on things like steel and aluminum, washing machines and solar panels. But then in the second half of last year, it really started uh, changing into a bilateral uh, trade conflict. And uh, uh, the U.S. really began focusing on China. And uh, since then, it's uh, 
there's been a uh, steady escalation of uh, of this uh, trade war, and so if you look at the at the bilateral at the trade between the U.S. and China, currently of the uh, roughly 550 billion that uh, China sells to the U.S. in goods, um, about maybe about uh, three quarters of that is already under tariff. There are tariffs that were scheduled to happen today, which were postponed, as you said. Uh, but there are also more tariffs that were sched- that are sched- still scheduled to take place in December. Mm-hmm. And um, by by the if those tariffs do uh, take place by the end of the year, about ninety nine percent of the goods China sells to the U.S. will be under some sort of tariff, with an average tariff rate of about twenty two percent. So it, it's really much. It's going to be much more costly for American firms and households to buy. Uh, Chinese products. Uh, there, there have been tariffs in uh, that China has also imposed uh, in retaliation, and uh, uh, there it covers about eighty percent of uh, U.S. goods uh, to, with an average tariff rate of about seventeen percent. So, as you mentioned uh, on Friday last week, uh, there, there had been negotiations, and uh, uh, you, you, they've called off or they've postponed the the tariffs that were supposed to have kicked in today, October fifteen. If you look at it, it's, uh, there's still a long way to go before this trade conflict disappears because uh, there was no, first of all, the December tariffs, as I said, are still on the table. Uh, all the previous tariffs are still in place. And so you still, uh, and they're really, they already have noticeable effects uh, on the region. And so, and a lot of the issues really haven't been ironed out. Uh, one of the things we should note is that they actually haven't signed anything yet. Uh, uh, they still need to iron out all the details. And in fact, even the uh, agreement announced on Friday, there, a lot of details were uh, left uh, vague. We, we don't know exactly what is in this uh, current uh, limited agreement. So this Friday, uh, whatever happened on Friday, was not the end of the trade war? Uh, not quite. And in <laughs> fact, if you sort of look back, it's sort of deja vu, because uh, in in, in, Dece- in December last year, we had something very similar where they said, okay, we're going to call off uh, some tariffs that in, at that time we're going to kick in in January, we're going to discuss and going to reach a deal, and then nothing happened. And then in May, things escalated. And so I think we have to just take this with a, a grain of salt uh, that uh, I, I would I, I, I think we'd all be more we'd, we'd be happier to see real progress, uh, you know, concrete progress in terms of uh, ending this trade conflict. Let's see. Um, for your report, you really did a lot of impressive number crunching, I think. So I recommend to all of our <laughs> listeners who uh, do not just want to listen to the numbers we're giving to look into your report because you're really describing the development, how these mm-hmm. tariffs evolved over the recent months. In, in very impressive graphics. Um, what to your mind, uh, I mean, that's a very simple question, but maybe you can say a few words. What is the, who is the biggest loser of this right. ongoing trade spat? So one of the things we did, uh, because, you know, it, it's important to know exact, to, to, to try to quantify exactly what the impact is. We know many of our member countries at the ADB, they were, they knew that, okay, we would, we get, we will get hit because we sell to China. We also sell to the U.S., um, but how big, how worried should we be was the question that was posed to us. So in the report, one of the things we do is actually analyze the impact on individual countries, not just throughout developing Asia, but actually across the world. Um, and also to look at impacts on uh, specific sectors within uh, each economy. One, we're able to do this because uh, uh, we have, it's called an international input output uh, uh, table that shows 
uh, how much each sector in each country sells to all the other sectors in other countries. And so one of the so what we find is that uh, uh, if you start very broadly, global uh, output or global GDP takes a hit, but most of that actually comes through its negative impact on the two protagonists, on China and the U.S. So, so um, China and the U.S. Yes. being the biggest losers. Yes, absolutely. Which is so not surprising. <laughs> and so what we did was we actually looked at uh, different scenarios. First, the current scenario, like uh, the the tariffs that uh, have are that are currently in place as of September uh, of this year. And so if you look at that, the loss. So China takes it. And let me also describe uh, so that the uh, the listeners understand exactly what ch the, the the channels through which these economies are affected. One is there's the direct effects of the tariffs. If it is more effect, if it's more expensive for your customers to purchase from you, they'll just buy less and you you sell less. The second are uh, indirect effects via uh, production linkages. So if I am a transportation company in China, I don't actually export anything, but if some of my customers are exporters, then they will demand less of my services. And same thing in the US. And then the third channel, uh, which is relevant for the rest of developing Asia, is it's called trade redirection. It's mm -hmm. that if it's now more expensive for US customers and the firms to buy from China because of the tariffs, they start looking elsewhere uh, for to, to buy those products. And maybe even uh, there may be even relocation of some production. And so th through these various channels, we calculated the impact. And basically what we found was that under the current scenario, Chinese output will is lower by about three quarters of a percent. Uh, relative to if there was no conflict. Um, it, to translate that figure into dollar terms, for China, the loss to Chinese GDP is about $80 billion. Uh, decline in exports is about 100, uh, $114 billion. And jobs lost in China because of the trade conflict are about $5.2 million. Uh, and so it's really a non-trivial effect. And you see similar effects for the U.S., It also takes a hit, smaller but still substantial, a loss of about $34 billion to U.S. output and uh, about 250,000 jobs lost. This, you just mentioned this uh, factor of trade being redirected. What are the countries that are may maybe even benefiting from the development? It's a silver lining or uh, that you would say. So obviously they, they do get hit because they're selling less to China, but they are selling more to the U.S. So if you even if you look at the actual data in the first half of this year, for example, while Chinese exports to the U.S. declined by about 12 percent, Vietnam's exports to the U.S. rose by about 33 percent compared to the, the same period in the previous year. And uh, most of that is uh, in electronics and machinery. So Vietnam selling uh, more of uh, those products, cell phones, for example. Another uh, Other countries that benefit are uh, Bangladesh, for example, which, which has seen its exports to the U.S. increase by about 14%, primarily in garments and textiles. So you are seeing this, and it's sort of an offsetting factor. These economies, so they, they're selling less to China. That's one negative effect. The other, another negative effect that's actually you're seeing across the region is that because of trade uncertainty and uh, other factors, uh, they're investing less. But then this is one of those offsetting factors. Trade, re trade and production redirection, it, happens, it doesn't happen very quickly. But our expectation is that if the trade conflict is protracted and stays in place, which is actually our expectation, then you're going to see more and more of this trade and 
production redirection. In fact, so if uh, speaking of production redirection, you are actually also seeing increased FDI into the rest of developing Asia from both China and the U.S. Uh, so it's uh, that's another benefit. So altogether, you would you would say that uh, neighboring Asian countries might actually benefit from this uh, ongoing thing yes are there uh, also downsides for these countries of the trade conflict because um in in the report you mentioned that growth pr mm -hmm. prospectives in asia are dimming right. uh, the trade conflict is probably not the only reason um, but how do you see this uh, whole thing develop right then? so a lot of the negative effects uh, you see in uh, immediately in the short run so If China is slowing because of the trade conflict, they're immediately buying less from uh, neighbors. Uh, from neighbors. Sure. And so that is a negative effect that you see right away. Uh, as I mentioned, investment, you're already, if you look at the 11 largest economies in, in Asia, eight of those 11 have seen uh, investments contribution to activity, to GDP growth decline in the first half of this year. Those are the negatives and you see them right away. The trade and production redirection, you're seeing some of it, but not enough in the short run, So that, which is why, as you mentioned, we've lowered our forecasts uh, for not just for China, but for other countries as well. But again, if in the long run, there's really there are really these opportunities that uh, that may come from countries, uh, firms uh, looking uh, to relocate uh, and and to purchase from other countries. How bad is this downturn? I mean, you lowered your forecast. Oh, yes. Could you put that in numbers? Sure. Uh, so. <coughs> Our forecast for developing Asia as a whole, we have uh, lowered by 0.3 percentage points. Uh, we, we now expect growth to be 5.4% this year and 5.5% next year. And uh, again, let's put that into context. This It's still the fastest growing region in the world. And in fact, if you actually remove the newly industrialized economies such as Korea, Hong Kong, Singapore, and Taipei, China... Um, they, the growth in developing Asia is still 6% uh, this year and next. Um, so, but yes, that, that's a downgrade from what we had before. And as we stress in the report, uh, even though we've downgraded the, the forecasts, we're worried more on the downs about the downside risks that growth may be even lower than we're expecting for a number of reasons. Uh, one is the This trade conflict, as we just discussed, there are, the chances are that it may re-escalate again, despite the truce uh, called this Friday. But we're also worried about growth, for example, in the advanced economies. Mm -hmm. So there are risks around that here in Europe, for example. Uh, there's the possibility of a, a disorderly Brexit in the U.S. Uh, there are increasing concerns about recession. And speaking of China itself, there are, you know, the, the question is how to what extent China can respond to the negative impact that the trade conflict is having. This is Merrick's Experts. Eric's Experts, the podcast on current events in China. I am Claudia Wessling and today I'm joined by Abdul Abyad from the Asian Development Bank. Um, Abdul is in Berlin to present a new report on developments in the Asian region and this year the report has a focus on the US-China trade conflict and its impact on Asia and beyond. 
Um, Abdul, as an economist, you are trained to do forecasting exercises and think in scenarios. How do you think this situation will evolve? What is your personal best case scenario and what is your maybe worst case scenario? Right. Oh, Big always question, a, yes, I know. I know. Always tricky <laughs> to predict the future in particular <laughs> I think with a with a president in the U.S. who uh, is, has a knack for being unpredictable, uh, so we do we looked at several scenarios again, basically to hedge our bets because we 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 really don't know how things will resolve. But one scenario is that the tariffs remain as they are; that uh, further tariff increases uh, are avoided, and that was what we had just what I had described earlier. Another scenario is that you do have escalation. Uh, we, we call it a bilateral escalation scenario where, for example, all the trade in goods between China and the U.S. Uh, become subject to a, a high tariff, let's say 30%. And you can look at the report to see what effects that has. It basically doubles the impact on China and on the U.S. But uh, the other, there's also another scenario that we look at, and that That's where the trade conflict expands beyond just the, the U.S. and China. It's already already has some elements of that. But, you know, for example, one of the things that's still on the table in the U.S. is uh, imposing tariffs on all imports of autos and auto parts. And that would actually have a, an effect here in Europe. And uh, should that that's actually our worst case scenario where you lay that on top of an escalation between the U.S. and China. The other thing you have been seeing recently is that it's moved beyond tariffs and trade, that you have seen measures in technology, for example, mm -hmm. things like export controls on Huawei and even things like uh, it's now harder for Chinese students to get visas in the U.S. And so, in fact, calling it a trade war is in some ways a misnomer. It really is, and it's always actually been about more than just trade. So th th there are many scenarios. I hope that saner minds prevail and that we back off because as, as we just discussed, it, even the U.S. is not gaining from this. Uh, it, it's, and it's really a drag on, uh, on, on, the, on global activity. Uh, yes, and uh, the point you just mentioned, this one about the technological competition in, uh, that is somehow in the back of this whole um, row um, is really a case in point that will not just go away. Um, you also mentioned Europe, the effects of the trade conflict on Europe. Do you think that there would be a way um, how European countries, Germany and Asian countries could kind of jointly try to overcome the negative e effects of the trade war? Yeah, Is I there would a see an easy way out? <laughs> I, would, I would see two roles for Europe. The first is that, you know, one reason for that this trade conflict has really expanded the way it has is because the WTO in its current form, the World Trade Organization, isn't really working properly. And so you might think uh, Europe can play that role in pushing forward uh, reforms of the WTO, uh, both the dispute resolution mechanism there, but also as a forum for trade negotiations and uh, the forging trade agreements. So that's one role. The other is that in the absence of the WTO working properly, we, we are moving to a, an environment where most of the agreements are now either bilateral trade agreements or we call them plurilateral agreements, right? So not everybody, but a big number of countries. 
and I think uh, what we need is to just move forward in that direction. And if you forge enough of these, and you, for example, if you have these agreements among a large enough group of, uh, group of countries, and it then strengthens the incentive for other countries, whether it's China or the U.S. or others, to say, "Hey, I want to be part of that. They, I, we see the gains of uh, being uh, part of that uh, bigger agreement." Because uh, it's it's always a challenge. One of the challenges in the WTO is that you have 160 plus countries all trying to reach unanimous agreement. And mm-hmm. it's always tricky to do that. Um, whereas if you put together a smaller set of countries, but still uh, you know, uh, uh, big enough to be a big chunk of world uh, GDP or world trade, um, again, you, you can at least keep us from slipping more toward protectionism. Chinese representatives have time and again said that they would like to strengthen the WTO again and come back to a more multilateral, I don't know, way of dealing with each other? How would, would you assess China's role in this context? I, I think China also stands to gain from WTO reform. One of the, one of the problems with, uh, uh, in the WTO right now is that there, it's, not, it's ill-suited to address issues like the extent to which the state or state-owned firms uh, you know, gain an advantage if you reform the WTO so that it can address questions like that and you then assure other countries that they can respond in a proportionate manner, you avoid a situation like we have now where it's a trade war with tit for tat with no end in sight. Again, the the current trade conflict is really amazing because it involves the two largest economies in the world. They account for about two-fifths of world GDP, about a quarter of world trade. And it just goes to show how without a working global trade system, you fall into these traps where even, even the two largest economies can go at it with no end in sight. Yeah, um, um, that's almost my last question. Um, Trump and uh, Xi Jinping are supposed to meet in November at the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation meeting. And there's talk that they will maybe come to a settlement. Um, I mean, what you've been saying throughout the last 20 minutes is basically that you are not expecting any kind of settlement. But um, if I would ask you as an economist to give a percentage, or what what would be your guess? How likely is it that uh, they will agree on something that is <laughs> will bring this whole thing to an end right uh so we can always hope right i will not nail <laughs> yes. you down on it we can always <laughs> hope uh, if i had to put a number it would be very low uh okay. just because we know it's much more than trade there are deeper issues including uh, again intellectual property protection forced technology transfer the role of the state and state-owned enterprises and those if you think about how far off the U.S. is uh, and uh, the, pos- the positions of the U.S. and China are, it's very unlikely that they will be able to resolve things by November, sadly. Okay, so this is a <laughs> conflict that will accompany our and your work for the months and hopefully yes. not years to come. Um, Abdul Abiyad, it was great having you here at the Merricks podcast. Thank you again for being here. And thanks also to our listeners for tuning in. And I hope you come back for the next Merrick's podcast. I'm Claudia Wessling and thanks. Thank you. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makata Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org.